Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I am one of the co-hosts, Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Dockman from The Athletic, recording on Thursday, November the 4th, 9.05 a.m. Central Time. So pretty much on schedule for us this week, which is always good at this time of year when things are getting a little bit more crazy. Um, so, yeah, we have plenty to talk about today, Scott. Um, how was your Halloween? Did you have a good Halloween? Did you get kids at the house? Uh, Do you dress up? Uh, how was it? I usually do. I, I like it even if my kids aren't here. It's my daughter's favorite holiday, and she lives in Minneapolis now. So it's it's kind of, um, you know, it was kind of different. Plus, being Sunday, Sunday is one of my busiest days. So yeah. I didn't get done till about 6 with work and and going through everything. So I didn't get a chance to, to go out there. In fact, after about six o'clock, I was kind of mentally, you know, after <laughs> traveling and everything, I was just kind of mentally gone. And I'm like, eh, I don't really have the endurance or energy to even as much as I love seeing the kids in their costumes, they crack me up. I, I thought, nah, I'm just going to hang out in my basement, <laughs> watch <laughs> pro football for a little bit. And then uh, after that, go to, uh, uh, and then call it a day for, for Halloween this year. Yeah, we, would have, we put the bowl outside and really not a lot of activity this year. I don't know what that was about, but uh, we had some some smaller kids early, which were cute. And that's really uh, we got our fill of that and uh, didn't get any big kids coming and TP in the house or throwing eggs or anything like that. So that's always a bonus. So, um, yeah. Next holiday. Yeah, right. Uh, we got. Uh... Well, Thanksgiving, I guess. I mean, it got better today, of course, next uh, Thursday. Yep. But uh, after that, we've got uh, Thanksgiving, and that's only three weeks from today. Can you believe it? It's crazy, man. It really is. And that's uh, just kind of an indication of how close we are to the end of the season. First playoff rankings this week. Iowa comes in at 22, uh, not where it wanted to be, not where most of us thought it would be uh, just a, a few short weeks ago. But uh that's where it is. I'm going to uh, start our conversation with the public service announcement again that we've talked about on this podcast before. I talked about on the Mailbag podcast yesterday. Um, Brian Ferentz is the offensive coordinator. That is correct. 
Kirk Ferentz is the person who built this offense. He is the found. He is the person. It's his philosophy. So mm-hmm. I don't think we need to go over this a ton again, Scott, but you know, three offense coordinators. Now it's a lot of the same discussions this week that we've been having for 23 years. That's, I would think people could connect the dots, but I think people are still having trouble with that. It's because of the last name. And I, you know, and I think there is a disconnect right now between people who like Kirk Ferentz as the head coach and people who don't like the offense. And so what they do is they connect the offense to who calls the plays, but it's his system. So I think that's the that's where things kind of line up. And it's unfortunate that, you know, Brian Ferentz, of course, has that last name. So he's immediately going to be the target. But but Greg Davis got the same amount of arrows. And before him, Ken O'Keefe did a lot. And and really, it's I came to this conclusion. I wrote it for Monday and I've and it's not the easiest column I've ever written. Let's put it that way, just on so many levels. But I'm like. They've got to move on from this offense. Not now. I mean, you can't do that four games left and then whatever else happens in the postseason. But um, but in starting in January, they have to move past this offense. And if that means it's Brian Ferentz has to go, then that's the way they need to do it. Kirk needs to hire somebody else and stand back and say, here, here are my basic principles, but you apply it the way you need to apply it. And that is things like um, – you know, okay, you want to still zone block, fine. That's that's okay. But you know, you'll teach it. But for outside of major decisions like whether to go for it on fourth and one, give it to somebody else. And that could be Brian. That could be David Ray. That could be um, Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> you know, but you got to this. This offense is broken. And as much as I'm not saying that I wanted to. Over the years, I, I won't say I made excuses or anything for this, but you could kind of justify it and maneuver it and talk about it, massage it. And now every number suggests that this, they just can't do this anymore. And um, when you have an elite level defense and you have maybe the best special teams unit in the country and your offense is in the bottom 10 percent in every single major category, you've got to reevaluate it and, and realize, you know what? Brad Banks isn't isn't out there. That offensive line isn't out there. It's time to move on, and that's that's kind of where I sit now. And and I think I, I've reached the tipping point, and I, I seem to be almost one of the last holdouts to say uh, you can still do things the way you wanted to in the past. Yeah, and I think those are some excellent points. And I, I don't know as you've made excuses. I don't know as I've made excuses. I think you try to look for, and maybe people will say it as excuses. I mean, people that are really, you know, have that glass half empty type of view of it. It's, you know, um, you, you look at the success, you know, in the last five plus years. And it's, I mean, I was winning football games overall and oh. have, has a ton of success. And then you kind of revert back to, okay. It's complimentary football. And we've talked about this on this podcast this year, Scott. The offense just has to be good enough that it doesn't screw it up for the defense and the special teams. But in a, when we see these last two games and how much the offense has cost this team, 
you, you can't just rely on those two other aspects and not expect that third aspect, that third phase to bite you in the ass. And it just, as good as Iowa's been, you know, eight, nine, 10 victories to get over the hump. I just don't think you can keep going that this way. And I think that's what you're saying. I just am not confident in the likelihood that Iowa will change its offense. Maybe it does enough to resemble the transition that defense has made in terms of cash and being having some flexibility. I just don't know what that looks like. And I don't know how far Kirk is willing to go, I guess, is what I'm saying. And I, I mean, I totally get the tenets, the principles. I even agree with it because we are talking about Iowa and what you're able to recruit to is different than what you could recruit to in Florida or Texas or Ohio or, or Pennsylvania or wherever. Your access to great athletes is much more limited and it's really difficult to get them. So what you what you have to do is, um, you know, is amplify what works best, what you can get and make that your priority and then let everything else kind of fill in. And in Iowa, I, has the right philosophy, which is be great along the line of scrimmage, be a developmental program, um, do the, the details. Well, that's, that's a right style of play for a place like Iowa, because that's what will get you victories and make you better. But when your offensive line is, has struggled all year and it's been a mixture of inexperience and injury and frankly, guys just not being good enough. When you have that, that really sinks everything when that's the one thing you hang your hat on. Um, because, you know, in the past, we've seen years where they haven't had great running backs or they've been injured all the way down to four or five down on depth chart, or they haven't had necessarily great wide receivers, but they've had most of the time a, a presentable offensive line that could give them a puncher's chance um, in a lot of these games. And, and right now they don't have that. And, and that's, so what do you do then? Well, sometimes you just crap out. You don't have the, a great position group, but that's really not acceptable at Iowa for, for offensive line. Guys. I think that's really a, a, an indictment of either poor recruiting or just, you know, not having a good enough offense to be able to shield it. That's, that's the problem. Now, can Kirk get out of the way? and say, I, you know, here, again, here are my foundations. We need to make sure we block this way. Outside of that, you, you figure out what we want to do and how we want to do it. Then I, I think it's capable of being pretty good at times. You're never going to be higher than the mid part of, you know, like the 50s or 60s in total offense and those kind of measurements. And that and that's really not fair. And people who say that, I laugh at it. Like, like last year, you're, you know, people were complaining, well, they were only whatever, 79th or something in total offense. But I'm like, yeah, but they were second in the Big Ten in scoring. And they, they averaged 4.6 yards per carry and they won their last six, six games by an average of 21 points. Guess what? F you. It doesn't matter. You know, that, that part doesn't matter. But right now, when you when you know you go down these lists, I mean they're they're 124th in total offense. They're 123rd in yards per carry um, on first down, which is probably the biggest indictment of all. 
they are the second worst in the country behind Mississippi State or ahead of Mississippi State. And they pass. I mean, they, they average 81% completion percentage or 84% and almost 1,300 yards on first down passing. Iowa averages 48% on first down passing. So it's just, you know, it you, you have to look at it for what it is, not what you want it to be. And it's not good. It's not good at all. And so where do you go from here for the last month of the season against uh, some of your major rivals? I think you've got to, I think I used this phrase last week, but squeeze the last drop of ketchup out of the bottle and, you know, find out what works best and try to go with that. And where I had the biggest problem the other day was their best offensive formation and personnel group has been too tight in um, with, with Sam Laporta, who's been really outside of Linderbaum, maybe their most consistent player on offense and Luke Lachey, who I think is really you know, really grown. He's been a pretty good player. So I think you need that um, because it's just the three wide receiver thing isn't working right now. And, and yet that's exactly what they went to almost exclusively against Wisconsin and they got them beat again. Yeah. And I, I know um, in listening to the post-game press conference, you brought up that first drive. Charlie Jones sets them up at their, you know, their own 45. What an opportunity there. And the play calling there was just not good, was just not good. And I know Kirk kind of pushed back on your question a little bit, but that really was the time. And obviously I, I understand what he's saying. You know, the first play of the, yeah, the first play of the game, the first series of the game where you have a chance to make a statement. <clears throat> We've talked about this, Scott. It's almost like, Iowa, it, when it gets in a situation where it controls its own destiny in terms of the Big Ten West, it gets more conservative. It gets more, um, you know, butt clenched, so to speak. It tries not to lose instead of putting – that's for me, and I wrote about this uh, after the game. It just doesn't seem like Iowa does enough to put its players in position to succeed. It's almost like they're afraid that they're going to make a mistake. Let these guys make some plays. Get the we've talked about. It. Get the guy, get the ball to Tyrone Tracy, Tyler Goodson, um, Arlen Bruce, Keegan Johnson, guys in space. However, you need to do that. There's ways. There are teams that don't have great offensive lines or offensive lines that are struggling that find quick passes, that find ways to get instead of lining up. Tyler Goodson in the eye and ramming them inside zone into Wisconsin's defense, fake it, throw a screen pass, pitch it, do something different, be less predictable. And God was Iowa so predictable against Wisconsin. It was painful to watch. It's there's the, it's weird because I felt, I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth when I describe the problems with Iowa. And one is I'm 100% agreement with you that the, the predictability is, is there. It's obvious. And they knew it because they could stop it before it started. But I think what happens is Brian Ferentz gets, he overthinks it. He overanalyzes it and he gets concerned about certain things with, with especially with Wisconsin. Wisconsin's been the, the key um, over the years. Last year was kind of an outlier because Wisconsin just didn't have the personnel to do anything um, because of COVID, frankly, but just across the board. But, you know, as I said, that 
the, the things like jet sweeps, that's where they are have been the most successful all year, even when they aren't um, even even when they aren't even running the ball. I mean, right now they're at, at, you know almost five yards a carry just when they have a jet sweep. And you Mode. saw and you saw Keegan Johnson made a play when they gave him a chance on the jet sweep. I mean, he broke tackles. He made put the ball in their hands. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're absolutely right. But then I'm also like, there are times when they would be much better off with two tight ends on the field yeah, all the time. No doubt. Uh, you know, going into like, you know, here's how I broke it down over the first seven games. Average yards per carry and personnel grouping. Um, when they're in 22, which is a fullback and two tight ends with, you know, pot of bombs on the field. And those, you know, they average four 4.3 yards per carry. That, you know, like, that fourth and one play, that's that's what formation they're in. That should work, except for the fact that you're going up against the the strength of their defense, which is one of the best in the country, if not the best in the country. Okay, you know what you do? You do what you did um, against Minnesota a couple of years ago, or you did earlier this year, I think it was Kent State. They can pitch out of it. You know, let your player make a play to win that game, to win that down. Um, Give them something they're not prepared for. Uh, I, I turned to Chad. Uh, I was sitting next to him in the in the press box, and I said, "You know, when they called that timeout, it was fourth and one, and I'm like, jet sweep them. They're not going to be prepared for this. You're going to squeeze out at least a yard, you know." And instead, they went right back into the teeth of the same play up the middle that didn't work the play before, didn't work on the goal line. And yet you did it again. And it's just like the quarterback sneaks the game before against Purdue. You know, it's like, well, it's worked. So, let's work. so I, it, what it tells me, and this is probably the biggest hallmark I've noticed over the era and certainly recently is they don't trust their players to make plays. They're, they're more wedded to the system. And that's like with when you have a mismatch like Noah Fant a few years ago, right. a, a specialist. But I, I remember specifically the 2018 game against Wisconsin where he went out wide on, on like a fourth and one, and then they sneaked it. When he went out wide, they only had, um, you know, one cornerback on him. Nobody was even close. And I'm like, lob it up. Let your guy make a play. If he can jump a 40, he has a 41 inch vertical, let your player make a play. Um, you know, same thing with Brandon Smith. Yep. Same thing with Tyler Goodson. Those are your playmakers. Let them play football. Let them play basketball, basically. Just think of it in that philosophy. It's their time. They can do this. And this is what I think is the biggest problem I've seen under Kirk on offense, even more than the system is the inability to just say, we're going we're gonna to let our guy make a play in space because it's all based on the, the philosophy that the, the line controls the line screen. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see <clears throat> now where you know, Iowa doesn't control its own destiny, yeah. what it does to alter, because as you said, it, it, it can't make wholesale changes at this point, but yeah. work within the framework of what they've, you know, and I don't know, do you, at some point, you've got to pare down the offensive line. 
I mean, can you continue to play eight or nine guys or whatever they're doing? I, I understand there are injuries and in, you know to take into consideration, but it seems like you know you're going into week nine and you're still looking for answers on your offensive line. That's not a good sign. And uh, I know again, injuries and things have factored into what's happened there, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think you have to look at it as okay, we're not going to have a strong offensive line this year you know you've got a third of the season left you have to say to yourself at this point we can't you know I get it like maybe in week four and five saying all right eventually this offensive line is going to come together it's going to we're going to you got to throw that flaw that that idea out and say now and, and if it comes together great but how do we work with an offensive line that's inconsistent what how can we best maximize our offense with a line that's inconsistent. That's what they have to do this week and moving forward. And then again, if the offensive line comes together, all the better, but you have to find ways to compensate for an inconsistent offensive line. Can they do that? Right, exactly. And and, <clears throat> I, and, and this week is going to look good for Iowa. Um, and I know that sounds strange because we're talking about Northwestern, a team that perpetually is – you know, a thorn in the bottom uh, <laughs> over the year. But, uh, but seriously, uh, this is not the Northwestern team we saw last year defensively. It's not very good. And contrary to what Gary Dolphin said on the radio last night when he said that it, you know, they're always good up for, on defense and they're good on defense again this year. Well, they're not. Um, they, they're 123rd in yards allowed per carry. They're 126th in rushing yards allowed per game. Last uh, in the Big Ten. This is the get well game for Iowa. Should be. This is this is the game where okay, we've been frustrated, we're pissed off, we're gonna go out and, and we're gonna blow them out of the water, and and that's kind of been the mo. I was I, I went through a lot of uh, this the, the Northwestern uh, series here with Iowa and. Um, Iowa's wins under Kirk Ferentz have been by an average of 25 points and their losses have been by an average of like four, you know, so it's really, it's one of these games where, um, you know, the only thing that scares me about it is they've lost their last five as outright as double digit favorites, which this one they are too, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, okay, they're, they 25.2 points. This is the average of those nine wins for Kirk against Northwestern and it's 5.6, the average margin loss. It seems like when it's close, they really pucker up. Iowa does, and, and Northwestern knows which buttons to push. And when otherwise, Iowa's clearly the better team. And I think that's the case this year because we can't, as much as we've talked really across the board about their offensive woes, at the same time, we got also have to respect their defensive prowess, which is as good as there is in the country, frankly. And and when you get an offense like Northwestern's, you can jump right all over it, and it can turn out to be that Maryland game very quickly. Um, they're that, and they're not as they're they're not as successful offensively either as Maryland is. So I do think the potential is for a blowout, and I would be I would be surprised if Iowa doesn't win decisively. And therefore, with the offensive line, I think it should click. I think they should probably get 200 yards rushing. If they can get 200 yards rushing, they're going to feel so good. Like, oh, God, yes, finally, we got through.
Well, some te- technical difficulties there. We haven't had that in a while, Scott. So good to keep us on our toes. Uh, you were talking about uh, how putrid Northwestern's def- defense is when we got uh, disconnected there by the technical difficulties. So pr- please proceed. <laughs> yeah, their their defensive numbers uh, statistically are real comparable to um, in positioning nationally, are real comparable to Iowa's offensive uh, woes nationally and and you know they're they allow they're they allow they're 97th in, in total defense they're uh 126th in rushing defense they uh allow five and a half yards of carry they, they even their completion percentage i mean and this is the hallmark of why northwestern's really struggling this year they're three and five and um that their passing offense isn't very good at all. I mean, their, their completion percentage is right at what Iowa's is. And then they allow 66.3% through the air. So all another, those numbers. Another number that stood out to me, Scott, they allow 45% on third downs. Yes, exactly. That's insane. Yeah. And their time of possession is 116. Yeah. So they've never been really good statistically offensively. Um, a lot of times I look at these years when they win the championship in the West, last, you know, two out of the last three, and you're like, wow, how did they do that? I mean, because their numbers just don't really add up. And it's and, and what it is is they have outstanding defense usually, and they play smart football because that they're Northwestern, and they have a great coach. I think everybody can should respect that. And they understand what buttons to push. And when they play teams like Iowa, like Wisconsin, like Michigan State, even though that's not their division, that they find ways to, to exploit weaknesses and attack areas and frustrate teams. And this year they can't do it. <laughs> this year, you, you look defensively last year, they, they could occasionally get after the passer when they needed to. Uh, two linebackers were there since – you start. You were at the PC, and I was at the Muskie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know Blake Gallagher and uh, and Patty Fisher, and now they have another Gallagher there, uh, Bryce. Um, but and then they had, you know, Greg Newsom was a first round draft pick as corner. Now, really on defense, their only guy is Brandon Joseph, who's just tremendous. I mean, he's a first rounder in my eyes. But you know, it, they just you can't you can't win with a great scene. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, maybe a pass rusher or something. But so this is a this should be a get well game for Iowa. I mean, you know, the, there's just so many different things that I think I see that. You know, if they if they really struggle in this game, I, the problems are so embedded, you're not going to be able to get out of them the rest of the year offensively. Yeah, that's true, and it, it'll be interesting to see. I don't expect Iowa to throw the ball 50 times like it did last year. That would be. I think that would be a poor offensive game plan in this situation, but I would like to see, and I know the philosophy again is playing percentages, um, you know, not doing things to hurt yourself. Um, I would like to see what we talked about earlier, Iowa giving its playmakers a chance, putting the ball in its playmakers hands to make plays. Um, we saw it a couple of years ago. They got the ball to Tyrone Tracy. He made some plays um, in the 2019 game in, in Evanston where this Evans, this Northwestern offense isn't as bad as that one, um, no. but it's not great either. And 
it's got quarterback issues again after having the one-year respite of uh, Peyton Ramsey. Fortunate right. they, got, they got him. But I would like to see Iowa play aggressively in this game and, and give the players confidence going into the toughest game it's got left on its schedule against Minnesota in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Start to build that confidence back up. Because I, the guys can come on Tuesday and, and – the coaches can talk about, you know, how you just go back to work and, and, and all those things are great. And those are all true, but yeah. confidence is a lot in this game. And I, I just have to figure that Iowa's confidence is waning a little bit offensively after the last two weeks, give it some, give these guys something to build on for the last three games of the season. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the biggest point here is they need to feel good about themselves. I mean, they're young men, they're, they're players, they're athletes that want to have success and, and look good and feel good doing it. And the way to do that is to, to go out and perform at a high level, which they're capable of doing, at least in some of them individually. I have no question that this defense is going to be very good. It was very good against, you know, Wisconsin. And it really got just it wasn't really, you know, one drive. It always allows one drive. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah. it's kind of like I always compare their their defense to, you know, the batter who's going up against that, you know, pitcher. And it's like, okay, I got to kind of size up the speed and the drop of the curve and all that stuff. And then by then I'm, I'm there, you know, when they had that goal line stand, you know, then it was like, okay, they came to play, you know, they're ready to throw down. And then next thing you know, they fumble it right back. And, um, but I think when you go to Northwestern, what you want to do is, is you want to keep your foot on the gas. You want to play hard for all four quarters. You want to put yourself in a position where in the second half, then if you need to work on anything or if you want to get guys in the game that feel like you want to get a closer look of, then, then do it. But, but really, you, you need a feel-good game right now. And, that, and this came at kind of the perfect time. And, and again, I almost – we have to like brace myself because we've seen this in the past where, Oh yeah, they should go out and beat Northwestern. <laughs> we know how bad, I mean, they've won four out of the last five against Iowa. So it's not like this is a team that, you know, they pound every year, but this is one where it's not the typical Northwestern team. And, and, uh, and as you said, a quarterback, they brought in another transfer and Ryan Holinsky, He's not really been the answer. They're going to probably play him and Andrew Marty quite a bit. You know, he's more of a running quarterback. And, and so there's going to be some challenge there, but I think they'll be okay. And it, it, they'll get some first downs and you'll hear that, you know, meow throughout the <laughs> stadium. <laughs> and then, uh, then they'll, they'll handle it okay. I, I, I think this is one of the – it's going to – it shapes up to me to be one of those games where Iowa wins by that massive margin that they usually do. Yeah. And I think it's a game where you can take some chances offensively. And if you make some mistakes, you can overcome them. And I think that's the type of scenario where you take advantage of it Mm -hmm. and, and let guys play and let guys make some plays. And, uh, I think it's, as you said, I think it's all going to start with, you know, Northwestern giving up 265 a game on the ground. Iowa's got to be able to run the ball. And, and if it can run the ball, then it sets everything else up. And maybe they can kind of work on some things and get some more things uh, on film and also be able to uh, feel, as we said, feel better about being able to execute this offense. And maybe it gives the the offensive line a little bit, a chance to, 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 um, 
you know, build some chemistry and continuity, um, maybe pare things down a little bit um, and, and ride with uh, the guys you think are going to give you the best chance to win. Again, I know injuries are an issue and, and you got to factor that in, but um, I had uh, as normal as per usual, um, you know, after two weeks like this, Scott, you get, obviously we talked about the Brian Ferentz angle and, time to fire Brian Ferentz and get a new offensive coordinator. The quarterback is usually second in line. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think there's any doubt that Spencer Petras needs to play better, but he has just not been able to get into a rhythm. And that to me offensively is one of the main um, goals this week, objectives, try to get him in a rhythm. Because he just hasn't had a chance to be. It's just like, you know, they get that drive last week, nice drive. But most of the day he's, you know, looking up at the sky, looking at his back. So, uh, or looking out from his back. And so, um, I don't know how they do it. Um, I, you know, we've talked about different ways, quick passes, some jet sweeps, some pitches, some misdirection plays, some ways to kind of relieve the pressure. Um, but this is really a game for him to kind of get going. It's, it's about allowing, you know, first, I think the playmakers, allowing them to make plays in space. And it might be on one-on-one -on -one with a with a linebacker. It might be one-on-one -on -one with a defensive back. But let them play. Let them do their thing. You know, Tyrone Tracy is not um, – he's not real exceptional in, in route running. And he's not real good at getting off the line of scrimmage and perfecting the route, but you get him the ball where he's got a chance to move with it. He's good. He's really good. And, and so that's, you know, emphasizing the strengths of your players, Tyler, or, uh, Tyler Goodson. I mean, why not get him a, a sweep, a pitch, something outside without, you know, not the outside zone, not the slant, but Hey, you know, olden days, you know, here, throw the ball out to that guy, let him run around the corner and voila, maybe he's, he's got one player to beat and now you got to go do it. That's what this team needs a little bit of it. And I think in some ways, then it energizes the players. They feel like that they're, they're in charge of making some plays. And then, as you said, with Spencer Petrus, he didn't have, there wasn't a lot of openings in, in the secondary and, and he had some drought passes um, by players, he didn't have a lot of time, and it, you know it's hard to build that confidence. And and that's, you know, the, the skill positions make it challenging. I think you know, particular. I think kicker is the worst. I think quarterback second and receiver third as far as the mental aspect of football of things start to wane. And and uh, you know when you start to get fearful or you start to think about things, and you know, I mean, like that strip sack. That was a three guy three man rush guy goes right around the right tackle uh you know Kerbig and, and they've got great linebackers as they always do and and you know now Spencer you could say he should have kept the ball up higher so maybe it wouldn't have got slapped away okay well he was trying to throw the football and you you know is, is it an arrogant protection scheme yeah a little bit but it's also the way the you know the, the guy's got at least provided resistance and that didn't happen so overall we're, you know, looking at what they could do. I, I think they could do everything they want to do. It's just, can they execute it? And can they put them in a position to be good at it? And I think they can. It's just, 
you know, and, and then I think their defense will help them out too. I think this is probably the game where <laughs> I, I go back to the Maryland game that I think this is a game where they get three or four interceptions and, and uh, they, they kind of run it up and, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, remember the Titans when Will Patton turns to <laughs> Denzel Washington, you know, run it up Herman, leave no doubt, you know, it's the, <laughs> I think that's what you do here. And, you know, if you've got to win 51 to nothing, do it, you know, and it, because if it's 13 to 10, you know, who's, whose butt's going to pucker up first in the fourth quarter. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't allow Northwestern to hang around. Don't allow them to make this a four quarter game. And uh, I know it sounds kind of arrogant to say that, um, but I was just a better team than Northwestern. If it plays to its potential, um, if it, if it shows some aggressiveness, if it does some of the things we've talked about in terms of getting the ball in playmakers hands, if Iowa comes out and is real conservative again and very predictable, Maybe it wins, but it's not going to accomplish what I think it needs to accomplish this week. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're thinking to yourself, you know, as a coaching staff or as a fan, well, we just want to do as, you know, the, the minimum we have to do to win this game and not give Minnesota any looks that we might be able to, you got to throw that crap out the window at this point. It's time to, to you know, it's November, there's four games left. Let it all hang out. It's time to go. Without a doubt. And, uh, you know, and you got to also got to, I, I think anything like that, there would not be running up the score. And, and now, granted, if it's a five plus touchdown game in the middle of the fourth quarter, Kirk's not going to, no. you know, if, if he throws a pass, it's with Alex Padilla or Dusogan. It's not going to be you know, even what we saw in Maryland where they were trying to score even up to the final whistle. But, uh, you know, because but then you look at last year, Northwestern was down 17 to nothing at Kinnick Stadium and came back and won. Um, this is a team that, you know, Fitz is a great coach, no question in my mind. And he will keep punching and he will push through. And and I think that's the thing that uh, if it's close, he's he's kind of like Dan McCartney that way when he plays Iowa, except he's better as a coach, <laughs> you know, and, and so it's just. You've got to just keep going. And I think like the 2019 win Iowa had over there, it was 20 to nothing. I think they're capable of that, but I don't think you want that. I think you want to feel better because, you know, that was a big play by Tyrone Tracy, but it wasn't until the second half where you started to feel like, okay, they really were sloppy on offense for a while. Now Northwestern's defense was much better then than it is now, but, you know, you also had playmakers that you don't have now too on the outside. And you also had a Northwestern offense that just was absolutely no threat that day. And you knew that. So you knew, you know, you could pretty much just score a touchdown, 10 points, and probably win that game. Yeah, right. And that's – remember, I think it was at the end of the first half where they had the ball at, like, the the Northwestern 40, and it's, like, fourth and one, and they punted, <laughs> and Twitter exploded for I Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and I remember defending it. I'm like – Northwestern's not going to score a touchdown today. It's just that's the best way to win the game rather than give them the ball at the at the 40 and give them a life. And then all of a sudden you're in a, in a, in a Rocky Balboa 15-round fight yeah. with a team that has your number. So, uh, you know, kind of almost like the Penn State game in that regard. But that said, uh, this weekend, push through. You know, win decisively, look good doing it. So 
you know, the national narrative is, isn't how did you even get to number 22? You haven't played like that. Um, I know you've talked about Iowa's defense and I think it was really good last week. It just, the last few games, um, and we saw it even against Penn state until Campbell was able to knock, um, Clifford out of the game. Quarterbacks are getting a decent amount of time to throw the ball against Iowa. And as good as Iowa's secondary is, and as good as Iowa is on the second level, it almost feels like, and maybe that's not this week. Maybe they don't really need to pressure Holinsky or Marty, whoever's back there. But uh, that seems to be one thing that opponents have figured out is how to keep Iowa off its quarterback. Um, some of it's, you know, running the ball with the quarterback. Some of it's the quick passing game, whatever it may be. Um, <clears throat> any concern there that Iowa's got to figure out ways to, to get some pressure on quarterbacks moving forward? The guy they'll, they'll play a week from this week is pretty good in Tanner Morgan in terms of just being a veteran and understanding how to attack a defense like that. Yeah, there are there is concern now. I mean, they've they've really not gotten much pressure on the quarterback the last couple of games, and and it, now I'll say this for the uh, Wisconsin game that they didn't in the second half their defense was so good that it really other than one drive uh, and at that point that was after you know when it right it's being decided uh, that it, it it looked good and you know early on like last week they didn't get a lot of pressure. Um, on Graham Mertz early and he was able to kind of hit some timing routes, which, you know, is, is, is scripted, you know, so that's, that's going to happen, especially because Jamari Harris was making his first start. I thought he played really well after that you know, first couple of passes. I thought he settled down and he looked like, Hey, this, he reminds me of Michael Ojibudia out there. And that's not a bad guy to have out there. He's a dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, but I do think, you know, right now they're 81st with only 15 sacks. The optimum number for an Iowa team is there's right around 30 per year. And early on, they, they were making, they're getting some pressure. They're not now. And what is that? I think partly, you know, it kind of the reverse of the, the offensive line is this is a pretty young defensive line. We knew that going in. And, and, and I think the real fear for me is that they've, they've kind of exhausted themselves and, they don't have – and the other thing is, over the last few years, we've got to remember, they've had NFL-level defensive linemen. I mean, elite level. I mean, A.J. Epineza, Anthony Nelson, Chauncey Golston, who got a lot of good snaps. He, he actually got a vote for one of our uh, defensive linemen all-rookie team already. You know, and he, he was out half the, the season so far. Um, Davion Nixon, the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, and, and other guys like Parker Hesse and stuff. I mean, they don't really have that. I think what I – this may be a transfer portal situation. I know people talk about that with offensive line, but I think they need to get a real an infusion of a, of a pass rusher um, probably for next year, just like a, a right defensive end that can really get off the ball and, and rush the quarterback. And I think that's probably what they're missing up front is that – Lucas Van Ness, you know, maybe you move him back outside. Uh, you know, they've, they've lost a couple of defenders, although I guess Deontay Craig will be back this week. That may be a help. But, uh, you know, I do think that they're a little suspect there. Everybody's kind of hanging on to, to Zach Van Valkenburg, who's been good, but, you know, maybe not in that Epineza Golston category. So I, I am concerned there. Um, 
the timing routes for Minnesota concern me, especially with their offensive line being as, as strong as it is. Uh, but you know that I don't think it's as big a problem as anything on offense. But I think it's it's probably the one thing on defense that's that's hurt them when they needed to and to force turnovers. Um, so sizing up the West now, um, as we as we said. Iowa does not control its own fate anymore. Um, if Minnesota or Wisconsin wins out, it will be the big 10 West champ. Um, but not Iowa doesn't need a ton of help here. That's the good thing. It can beat Minnesota, which obviously gives it the head-to-head against Minnesota. If it wins this week and next week uh, against Minnesota, it would be, what, tied with Minnesota in the division, but own the head-to-head. And then it would need somebody to knock off Minnesota or excuse me, Wisconsin, which could happen last week of the season for Paul Bunyan's axe up in uh, Minneapolis. When Wisconsin goes there, that seems to be Wisconsin or Minnesota seems to match up better with Wisconsin than Iowa does. And Iowa matches up better with Minnesota than Wisconsin. It's, it's an interesting dynamic there, but we've seen that, you know, with Purdue matching up against Iowa. So a lot of times, I think people kind of uh, last week with the loss to Wisconsin, people kind of threw, you know, overreacted, go figure. Iowa still has a chance to win this division, and it's not really that far-fetched to think that it can. Yeah, it's really three teams have – can if three teams can pretty much win out and they'll get there, you know, and Iowa just that needs one Wisconsin loss. If it wins four straight, it'll be 10-2, and 7-2 and two in the league – and uh, and and it'll put pressure on Wisconsin to perform in that last game because Iowa would play in Nebraska on that Friday, and and uh, Wisconsin's got to go to Minneapolis, and you know that's a huge rivalry game there. That last year it went into overtime, and uh, I want to say two years, no, three years ago they won. Uh, but anyway, that Minnesota has a chance based on what I've seen. They can win that game, and it'll be close. So I, I think. You know, you just you worry about Iowa right now. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds cliche and you know, coach speak and fair speak. But if Iowa takes care of Iowa, everything else takes care of itself. And worst case scenario, you're ten and two, and and you're like, well, damn, we missed out, but we still have a chance to go to a good bowl game, and this is disappointing. But we only did this to ourselves, and voila, um, that would be a disappointing end. But but then again going to Indianapolis and playing Ohio state doesn't sound like a reward at this point based on what I've seen. <laughs> no, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for whoever represents mm-hmm. the West in Indianapolis. And um, yeah, and we've talked about it all, all year. Um, it felt like big 10 West or bust. Um, yeah. And I still think that's the case. I think it's hard to say that 10 and two would be a disappointing season. But another year without a Big Ten championship game um, invite, so to speak, um, making, you know, winning the West, I just, that one's going to sit, just especially where, where Iowa was at one point, to not be able to win the West again with this team, I think, is going to be a set, leave a sour taste. And it's going to be, it would be an interesting offseason, even with 10 and a chance to go 11 and two, depending on where they went bowling. 
Yeah, I mean, if you're 10 and 2 and you're Iowa, chances are you're probably in like the Citrus Bowl, um, which wouldn't be a bad bowl, obviously, to get to. Uh, like Auburn and, or something? Yeah, you get Auburn, Old Miss, Kentucky, you know, yeah. you'd have to some pretty good teams there. Um, and, you know, you can win or you can lose, it doesn't really matter. It, it's just, I, I agree though, it's the drought since 2015. You know, Kirk talked about it the other day, like, well, you know, we lost a couple games in a row two years ago, and that turned out okay. We lost a couple games in a row in 2018, that turned out okay. But not really. No. <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> – I don't, I don't get that. Because, like, 2018, you had two first-round draft picks at tight end. You had a first-round tackle. You had Alaric Jackson was really good. You had a lot of really good players. And EJ, or AJ Epineza and Anthony Nelson on defense had some talent. You let some games go that you should have won. And it was kind of a hollow feeling, really. You know, I mean, and, you know, two years ago, you finished 10 and three. That's great. But, you know, why did you finish 10 and three? Well, you went to Michigan and you threw it in your final 21 plays and you gave up eight sacks because your guards weren't very good that day. Um, so I, I think that the, the, that's a, maybe a, a little bit of a disconnect. That's every now and then you just, you want that prize in the end. You need that prize to kind of validate it. And it, it's funny, I, I, I've written about this before, but like in 1990, Iowa was in a four-way tie for the Big Ten title, but beat the other three teams that it was tied with. So it went to Pasadena yeah. and finished eight and four. The very next year, they were 10-1 and one, finished you know, in the top 10 in the country, only one loss in the Big Ten, but Michigan didn't lose. Um, and it feels like 1990 was the better year, even though I had three more losses because it went to Pasadena and earned a title. And it's more, you know, even though the next year was better in every single major category, it's just, well, you know, you didn't go to the Rose Bowl. You didn't win the title. And, and I think you could say the same thing for a couple of other Hayden years and maybe even a Kirk year or two. It's, it's just, you, you need that validation. And if that means go to Indianapolis and be the sacrificial lamb, that's better than probably not uh, in, at this point. And if, so I think in Iowa's case, go win, um, win your games. You're, you should be capable of it. Um, you know, you've got Minnesota at home. They haven't beat you since 1999 at Kinnick. You know, you, you're expecting a hard-fought game, and you're going to get one. You know, this weekend, go win and win decisively. Go beat Illinois because because the, the recruiting issues are, are starting to really pop up. And then you're going to get Nebraska, and you don't know what kind of mindset they have. They actually statistically are very good, um, but outcome-wise, they're very bad. So it could be the last game of the Scott Frost era. Um, you'll worry about that when you get there, but you don't know if you're going to get a team that'll quit or one that'll play as hard as it's ever played. Um, they're capable of beating Iowa, no question. But but if you win all four, then Wisconsin's going to go, man, we got to go win against the Gophers. And the Gophers are saying, well, we're not going to go to Indianapolis, but we hate them and we want the axe. So then you're you're in that fun position of rooting for the Gophers over the Badgers. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, uh, I think that's the, you know, when you, you look at it and try to, um, you know, analyze and put into perspective what 10 and three is or 11 and two without winning a division. Well, as, as you said, Scott, the reason that it's not happening is, well, one, you're losing to Wisconsin way too often, eight mm -hmm. out of 10 years. You know, that's a direct issue. And then the Purdue mm -hmm. angle, 
Northwestern angle. Those yeah. are the three teams that are messing you up in your own division. It's great to beat Minnesota every year. Yeah. I mean, Floyd, it's, it's, that's, you know, just a iconic trophy game that you are dominating. Yeah. You're beating up on crappy Illinois every year. You know, <laughs> you know, ever, ever since the, the, the Eichhorst statement, <laughs> you've had your way with Nebraska. And those are all should be, Iowa should get credit for all those. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the objective to win a division and then hopefully win a Big Ten championship or at least put yourself in position, not being able to beat those, particularly Wisconsin and Northwestern, the two teams that have sp- have won the last, what, five? Mm-hmm. Five Big Ten, chi- Big Ten West, right? Wisconsin three and North- Northwestern yeah. two. You should be in there. Mm-hmm. You should be in there more during that five-year stretch. And you're not in there at all. And that's right. that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, you measure yourself against Wisconsin. Iowa does. Measures itself in stylistic, even though they're different in how they approach things, but they got the same mental framework. And that you're losing that, that battle. Um, why is Northwestern beating you? Well, because that in games like last year, they're up uh, 17 to or you're up 17 to nothing and then they come back. And then, you know, two, two years before that, 2018, you know, you're a 10 point favorite. You should have won that game. And where's well, Noah you, Fant? Where's Noah Fant? It's just, it's crazy how to me they, uh, it, it, you, you just can't justify this. You have to win those games, and 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 if you you have to self scout as to why, and it's not just we got to work harder and work better. I mean, sometimes it's you know I instead of going through that wall, I need to go around it. <laughs> yeah, and I think if you look at it, Scott, it's a great point. If you look at Wisconsin's scheme on both sides of the ball, has been effective against Iowa. Iowa's has not been effective against Wisconsin. That's your main rival. That's the where you have to get through them. You know, we saw the defense change after, was that the 2000, what game Eight, year was 18? 18. Mm-hmm. The defense said, okay, enough. When does the offense say, okay, enough? Well, it better be now. Uh, it, it better be this year because there has been enough frustration. I mean, I, I wrote a, pretty strong column for Monday just saying that with or without Brian Ferentz, the offense has to change. And, and I'm not saying that they need to fire Brian Ferentz. I'm not saying they need to remove him as offensive coordinator. I'm just saying that it needs to change, period. And I think at this point, you're, you know, when I have parents and recruits liking that story, <laughs> that's, a, that's a scary part because you know that they feel that way. And then there is some grumbling and there's been grumbling for a while among offensive players, you know, and, and again, that's when you look at the, the, to me, the fourth and one is the microcosm of this offense against Wisconsin and probably Purdue for that matter, but certainly Wisconsin. And that is you don't trust any play in your playbook. You don't trust any player in on the field to make a play to win that game or to win that down. Instead, you're willing to just say, we're just going to settle for this up the middle against the best 
trio that they have. And they are right there in your nose. Yes, you've got Tyler Linderbaum. But when you got Leo Chanel and you got Jack Sanborn and, and you've got their, their front wall, that's that's to me is even more 50-50 than running an outside zone on that play. Yeah. But, but you know, let alone something like a jet sweep or a pitch or or a pass for heaven for heaven's sake. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, if you play fake off that, you've got one and one down the field. And and because they're attacking a fullback, they they think it's a fullback dive. There's not going to be a lot of pass rush, at least for a three-step drop. Nope. And so you just, and that's where it's, you've got this hidden approach, which is overthinking it versus being incredibly too stubborn. And it's like, you, you, it's not mutually exclusive here. You gotta, you gotta say, let's not overthink it, but let's be creative. And I know that sounds weird and almost polar opposite, but it's, it's the truth with this offense right now. Yeah, and we'll see if Iowa can figure it out this weekend in Evanston. Um, do you think Kirk really did not know about Tyrone Tracy's brothers tweeting anything? Yeah, you think he really hadn't heard anything about that? Um, you know, after the game, I'm asking you to speculate here too. So, oh, yeah, um, I'm sure he knew about a little bit of it, but I don't think he probably he might not have read much of it or into it. Just said, could have been like, yeah, um, so people are upset, and that's about it. He probably said, oh well, you know, everybody's upset. So yeah, know. and that's probably the way right way to handle it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are you gonna do? You you know, you bring in the guy, you know, bring in Tyrone. You know, he's ticked. You know, his family's ticked, and that's not always healthy either. I mean, I think you just try to, you know, maybe you see, you know, have Copeland talk to, to Tracy and then you try to, I, you know, I think he's a guy that you try to find ways to get the ball in his hands and it might not be as an X receiver. Cause I really like the way Keegan Johnson's playing. I think he's the best X on the field, but I think you can get the ball in the Tyron Tracy's hands in different ways and make them effective. And, um, you know, certainly I, I don't understand why he couldn't have at least been a punt returner the other day when Charlie Jones went out for the poked eye. Um, he would have been better than what they had. True. And um, hopefully it's not punitive. Hopefully, because I think it was no fans case. Hopefully they don't hold it. Coaches don't hold it against Tyrone Tracy and understand that everybody's frustrated. And Kirk said it the other day, fans, families, they get frustrated. They put it out there on social media. Just keep that in perspective and not let it become, you know, something that poisons your offensive room. Just, you know, say, hey, listen, that's his brothers. They feel that way. They're defending their brother. So be it. You know, it really does not affect what we're doing in this building. We have to continue to do what we need to do. And as Scott said, find ways to get the ball into playmakers' hands. Tyrone Tracy is one of those players. We've seen it now for three years. You get the ball to him in space and he can make things happen. Iowa needs to make things happen. Yeah, they sure do. They need to. They need, And, and that's the healthy part, too, is when everybody feels like they're involved in different ways that, uh, that amplify their – skill sets, then they feel more of a part of it, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what I think, you know, is, is another healthy component of this is, hey, if you run Tyron Tracy a couple of times on a jet sweep, at least if he's not going to get the ball through the air, 
at least you're giving him a chance to make a play or two with, with the ball in his hands. And, and likewise with, with Tyler Goodson, you know, running inside zone with him and even in outside zone, it, it's not working right now in part. And, and I talked to him a little bit about this on Tuesday, just, you know, sometimes he, he stutter steps before he gets to the hole because it's not there. And that's, but, but then it's kind of chicken or the egg where it's hard to be decisive when it's not there. And then if, you know, and then sometimes you want to wait just a split second or try to break a, you know, make somebody miss. And so it's, um, he had a couple cutbacks in the second half that were encouraging. Yeah, sure. He's, he's still a really good player, yeah. you know, and, you know, and, and the unfortunate part is, you know, we saw two critical, critical mistakes by two um, fifth-year seniors in that game. I mean, Ivory Kelly Martin, if he gets another carry, it's it's certainly garbage time, you know, and ceremonial. And Max Cooper, I don't know that we'll see him play, you know, again. Uh, you know, the only time we'll probably see him out in the field is, is on senior day. You know, it's just – those, those types of mistakes were just so pivotal. I mean, not to say that they couldn't have allowed uh, Wisconsin to score after, but you're looking at 10 points they gave them, um, the Badgers, when you didn't even score 10 points. So maybe it's a, it's a, maybe the strategy is a little different if they didn't make those mistakes. So I, I don't know. I, I'm encouraged on a couple of things. I do think that uh, Connor Colby has, has played outstanding football. Um, after Tyler Linderbaum, who's in a different category altogether. I think he's been the best offensive lineman, and he's a, he's a true freshman. Um, Kirk has shut the door on moving him to tackle this, uh, this year. Now, I think next year that's where he probably ends up, but he's played really well. I think when Cody Ince is healthy, I don't think he's been healthy all year. He doesn't look healthy. right. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. I mean, but he's not. I think Mason Richmond has played well at times. You know, it's a tough spot. I what what this team if if you could pick one position to get better at in immediate heartbeat to me it's left tackle because you can reset the whole entire line and that is if you had Mark Kallenberger at left tackle or let's say that you could pluck one player off a of Northwestern's team Peter Skronsky <laughs> who, wanted, who is uh, an outstanding player I mean he's an NFL guy for sure um, if you could pluck him and put him at left tackle. <laughs> Then you move Mason Richmond over to right tackle. Then you could probably right. feel like, all right, we've got a we've got a semblance of a unit that's growing, but right tackle has been such a problem area, and 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 it really shows up on pass rush situations. Yeah, I wonder if Cody Ence was healthy, if they would have given him a shot out there. Yeah, I imagine so. I mean, you know, they, Kirk has kind of said we're going to keep everybody at all these positions, and but you know, Cody Ence is the one that's the five player position guy. And it's almost like, well, we need to uh, – it's probably that he's not healthy enough <laughs> to move outside. Maybe he's limited athletically or, you know, physically. So that's why they don't do it, and they just want to play there. Because I, I think he's a really good lineman too. And, you know, they like Kyler Schott. I think he's okay. And um, I think Justin Britt is, has struggled this year. And I don't know if that's injury-related or not. And certainly right tackle – you know, whether it's it's Jack Plum or uh, Nick Young is, has been a, a tough area for this team. Just, just really inconsistent. Most of those spots are really inconsistent. They play well at times, not well at other times, and not well together. And that's a 
that's a bad formula. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and, and I think everybody's, everybody, including myself, you look under that rock and you just try to find, okay, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's Bo Stevens, maybe it's move Cody Ants out to, to right tackle. Maybe it's Connor Colby, you moved to right tackle. And maybe it's um, insert this freshman into the lineup or, or running quarterback because he can evade the rush or, um, you know, on and on and on. There really aren't any kind of answers like that. To me, it's, it's all about really quality control and figuring out what works and, and kind of run with that. And, and, and that's tough in some points. Things, as Scott said, should definitely improve this week against the uncharacteristically leaky Northwestern defense. So hopefully Iowa can make some progress on that side of the ball and uh, build some confidence, as we said, and uh, get back in the winning ways and then uh, put itself in position to uh, finish out the season strong um, and uh, get some confidence going into that Minnesota game, which is really the only game that, that should be close on the rest of the schedule. And I know Nebraska statistically looks good, but who knows, as Scott said, what we'll find when we get there. So Mm. Um, I'm interested, Scott, I'm interested. I'm intrigued to see what this last four games looks like. And uh, I think it'll say a lot about kind of where this program is headed next year, because a lot of the guys that are on this team will be back. Um, We'll lose key pieces, but uh, this is really important because you don't want to, you don't want to stumble down the stretch here and have that going into 2022. You don't. Um, you know, the one thing I always have to tell myself is when you watch this team in particular, because but everybody kind of zeroes in on the team they cover and and you kind of go with, a, you know, everything's great when they win or close to it and everything's just abysmal F minus when they lose. And, and this team in the past with Kirk, with teams of less talent has all has bounced back almost every time. And the, the greatest bounce back I've ever seen in any sport was after they got pummeled at Penn state in 2016 with no offense to speak of. And then they went toe to toe with Michigan and won 14, 13. There'll never be a greater bounce back I've ever seen. And I think, uh, so this isn't that era. <laughs> this isn't that team. Uh, they they're better than that team was other than it, you know, probably quarterback and offensive line, you know, but they, uh, you know, they, they do have the history on their side. And I think this is a week, a get well week. I think you go into the Minnesota week prepared to fight, prepared to fight for everything that's yours this whole season, prepared to fight for against your rival, one of your main rivals, your trophy, the West division title, your, your family. (laughs) (laughs) You throw down every single ounce of energy because you do not want to lose to the Gophers. And and you throw down for your coach because it's obvious that he doesn't like P.J. Flynn. <laughs> Look forward to talking about that one next yeah. week. P.J. just got a nice seven-year extension, so uh, he'll be around for a while to uh, keep the keep the fire burning in this rivalry. And we always like to see that. But uh, enjoy the game, everybody, this weekend. Uh, Thanks for listening to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast with Scott Dockman and I. Scott, before we get out of here, I know you mentioned uh, your column on Iowa's offense earlier this week. Uh, You've got an awesome um, look back piece on on one of the overlooked Iowa football teams. What else you got going on the athletic? 
Yeah, uh, today's story, I wrote about uh, how Iowa has changed its number process. Uh, who, who gets to select numbers and how. Um, and uh, since 2016, Tyler Barnes and Kirk Ferentz are in charge of that. And uh, Kirk says uh, it's one of his bottom three things. That he <laughs> um, like if we had 50 single digit numbers, then everybody would finally be happy. Right. You know, because everybody wants a single digit number. And I talked about, you know, going into the 2019 season where you had, uh, Justin Jacobs and you had Tyler Goodson and you had Dane Belton all wanting to wear five and it, uh, they had to have some negotiations <laughs> for that to happen. And, and so, um, you know, it drives Kirk crazy. Um, Greg Morris talked about kind of the old days and some of the things they did as far as Jersey goes. And then, um, you know, Tyler's like, oh, it's okay, but sometimes you got to really wheel and deal. And, and, uh, you know, some players like, uh, Tyler was, or Goodson was kind of like, well, yeah, I guess. And then they finally, they tried to convince me what 15 means here. And <laughs> because <laughs> the problem was special teams, because they thought, well, maybe they're going to be on the same special teams unit. Right. And, and Justin Jacobs was, a, was an early enrollee. So he got, he got the, the jersey first, but, you know, they've got to deal with it. And then Kirk on um, number one, why they don't give it out. <laughs> he doesn't like it. You can tell, you know, he's like, you know, oh, I guess Quinn early had it so we can give it to Quinn if he comes back. <laughs> I'll have to check that. I remember back in the day, I forget who he gave his number to, but John Cruck, when he was with the Phillies, he, he gave the number away for a case of beer. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, give me a case of beer. Maybe it was Yingling back in Philly. Yeah, that would be nice. Or you know, maybe it was, uh, hey, go across, across the other part of the state, get some Iron City or something. But uh, now I actually talked to Jared Goff this week. He and, uh, and I'm writing this for tomorrow. He and Spencer Petras have a, a good relationship uh, because they both went to Marin Catholic and um, they've kept in touch. They text quite a bit. They call once in a while. And, and, uh, so, you know, both of them have kind of relied on each other a little bit to uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, some of the struggles, but also some of the joys. And and uh, so it's, it's been kind of fun. It was, it was fun to talk to Spencer about it and, and, and talk to Jerry Goff the other day. And, and so, uh, you know, both of them have been much maligned, I would say, in certain ways, but but they also uh, have a lot of faith and confidence in one another. Look forward to reading that. Check out all of Scott's great work on The Athletic. A lot this week uh, that has come out, so plenty to read. You've got time because it's a night game on Saturday, so you'll be sitting around on Saturday uh, looking for things to do, read some of that stuff, and uh, hopefully you listen to this podcast. We'll uh, mm -hmm. make sure we get it out there for everybody. And uh, thanks for listening to The Hot Spot. And Scott and I will be back to talk to you next week as we get uh, ready for the battle for Florida. All right, Scott. Say goodbye, Scott. Bye, Scott. <laughs> <laughs>